Well, as some of you know, we've uh, been in the running to get a new sound system, and uh, it's expensive. I thought I was going to get a lot of amens right there. Uh, I don't really want to start the sermon off this way, but I just I just felt led to, and you may see in a moment why that's the case. Uh, the price for the sound system and projectors, the quote that we received was about 67000 a little over that. And uh, our cheapskates will really be encouraged by this. We asked them how much the discount would be if we wrote them a check for the entire balance. And they responded with, we will give you a 3% discount. And all the cheapskates said, Amen. There's a lot of you this morning. So that brought it down to about 65. Small amount of change, right? And then uh, we had so many of you faithfully give. And we were able to, through your sacrifice, raise $18,938, which brought the total down to about 46000 and some change. And uh, then a lady that I have never met, uh, she was a member here for many years. In her will, uh, she had... She had vision to give to her church, and we received this week a check for um, $43,925 out of the blue. Fred and I were meeting. We try to have a staff meeting on Monday mornings and uh, try to, you know, put our heads together to plan together and, and pray and serve together. And then Mary comes and she, this, our secretary, and she knocks like that and she didn't wait for us to answer the door. She opens the office door and she said, the lawyer from the estate just called and we got a check for 40, we're getting a check for $43,925. And we said, praise the Lord. And Fred said, Mary, you just keep answering the phone. You, you just keep that up. You're doing a good job. Well, that brings it down to about, uh, around, around dollars $2, and then we have um, the rail removal and the pews and all that was uh, 1260 Then we have some computer equipment, Mac software that we're going to have to use back there. We didn't want to use a PC because we don't want to uh, cause our great media team to be tempted to sin and tempted to cuss in church while using a PC to try to run that. And those of you who know software know exactly what I'm talking about. So that, that added on top... Um, put it uh, a little bit higher, and then we had our existing sound equipment, which if, if you haven't noticed, all of what we're using, I don't normally use the uh, TBN handheld preacher microphone, all of our stuff got fried a few weeks ago, we had an issue back there, and uh, we, we talked to the insurance company, we said, would there be any way that you guys could, uh, we've never put in a claim before, um, could help us out, and the the quote for the replacement cost that Stage Sound gave us for everything that we had in the back was, uh, oh, let's see, $3,260. And uh, then we had, based upon that, pay them for coming out and then to pay the deposit. We got about $2,000 from the insurance company for equipment that we weren't going to use anyway. Doesn't God work in mysterious ways? This is crazy. Like, you can't make this stuff up. You really can't. And uh, so all that, all the equipment and all that for uh, what was going to be well over uh, $70,000 that we needed to do. And, and y'all know me personally. 
Um, and then corporately here, I am a cheapskate. I want to use God's money as best we can use it and squeeze every nickel um, until the nose bleeds on Washington. You know what I'm saying? So all of that, we want to be very, very frugal because you guys give um, and you work hard for your money. And we want to, that's a treasure. We treasure the ability to be able to use what you give to make it count for God's kingdom. So all of that, this is something that we just needed. You know, people are like, wow, you guys have a great, you know, website and, and podcast. I'm like, yeah, w- once you come, we're very low tech here. Like we, you know, if you sit on this side and you're looking up here on the wall, you can see about half of the words or the sermon notes on the screen because we just have a $200. That's just who we are, right? All right, we just got a, you know, cheap little projector and, and all of that. It brings the final cost for everything down to a little over $4,400. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And it's just, maybe some of you are like me, but I want to see it on paper before I begin. But there are certain cases to where God says you need to do something. And the church was had the vision to do it. And so we praise the Lord for that. And Fred, now all we need is just for one of you to go ahead and write a check for just $4,400 and we are good to go, right? Amen? So you, if, if you take somebody's checkbook and you forge their name to give it to the church, that's not a sin. I'm just kidding. But I'm just kidding. But we just, you know, and one of these things that, that as a pastor, um, you always want to be wise in regards to how you lead the church to use the finances. And this, this cost a lot of money before the God provided all of this. And it's like, boy, you know, we're going to go to Romania and we still have a fund for that. But a lot of churches get to this point where they say, well, we have things that we need to buy and these things that are going to cost a lot of money. But do we kind of put ministry and missions and outreach on the back burner until we get enough money to pay for this? And I really believe with all of my heart that if God is the one who has given us the job description, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, then God's going to be able to help us pay the bills in order to get that done. Don't you? I don't think that God will bless a church that says, God, we've got to get our stuff together and then one day we'll serve you. No, we need to serve Jesus today. And so thank you for your giving that allows us to be able to do ministry. And I hope that that's an encouragement to you. Uh, For those of you that are part of Rocky Mount Baptist Church, that God does provide. And if you have your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be in verse number 8 today, and we're going to look at uh, the topic of purity. And the verse very simply reads, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And something that I want to get across to you this morning, something that God has impressed on my heart, is that there is no greater call than loving Jesus Christ with a single, singular vision for your whole life. Now for some of us, life happens. We say, you know what, God, I want to serve you. But then things happen and things get in the way. I have this uh, pair of sunglasses that's not all that... It's not really all that fashionable. When I was down in Florida last month with my family, we decided to go to the beach. And as we were there at the beach, um, my mom said, look, there's some sunglasses. And they were kind of caught in the surf and they were getting rolled around the water and the sand. And she said, see if you can get them. So I go over there and I'm able to find the sunglasses. She was a very proud mom, right? Because when your son's like in his 30s, you're like, go get the glasses. And he gets them. It's like, good boy. She was very, very proud of me. 
And, uh, and when I got them, they were kind of foggy. And I was like, well, they've been in, um, they've been in the, the water for a little while. And I put them on like this. Y'all have never seen a preacher put on sunglasses from the pulpit. Everybody okay? All right. Somebody just, somebody just keeled over. But I put them on and I said, you know, I can't see through them, but maybe it's just, maybe it's just, you know, something got in there, the ocean. So we brought them home and cleaned them up. And you can come check after the service if you'd like. But they had been rolled around with the abrasion of the sand and the water so much that it had so scuffed the lenses that when you look through these sunglasses, all that you really see is a haze. They don't give you a clear picture. And I said, you know what? As I was studying to teach this this week, getting the Word inside of me so that God can preach it uh, through me, I said, that's often what it's like when we say, God, I want to see You. I want to follow You. I want to live my life for You. But all of these tiny minutiae, these things, these distractions can come and they can kind of, in a sense, chip away our ability to see God for who He is. And then when we put on the worldview of the way that we view life, we wonder why God seems so cloudy. And we wonder why He seems so unclear. Well, Jesus says right in this text, blessed are the what? The pure in heart. Now, in the Greek language, this is really interesting because the word for pure is where we get our English word catharsis. To be cleansed, to have a catharsis, a, a washing, a renewal. And the word in the Greek here for heart is cardia, where we get our English word cardiac. And I thought about this, you know, God wants us to serve Him with pure motives. He wants us to serve Him because He is good and because He gives good things. But if we had been with the original hearers of when Jesus was giving this message, we would have brought a lot of baggage to the plate. So if you're here this morning and you say, Jeff, if we could just open up the door to my heart, there is baggage inside there. You are in good company. The people in Jesus' day had had the, the, the religion of the day or God's word had been so twisted that they thought that you had to do and keep this list of rules in order to earn God's favor. It was all based upon outward acts. It was like, you need to go to the synagogue. You need to go to the temple. You need to do, do, do. And so these people already had this burden on their shoulders of, I don't know if I can do enough to have God approve of me. And Jesus comes along, and notice how Jesus makes the problem even worse. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. Not the so-called clean, but if your heart is pure, then you'll see God. Anybody feel in trouble at all? I mean, the, the, the people in Jesus' time would have been like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought if you just did these things, did these things, but Jesus goes above and beyond and says, if your heart is pure, then you'll see God. You see, well, Jeff, in what sense does Jesus use this word heart? Well, in the Bible, we see that the heart is the essence of the person. If you're taking notes, you can write down Matthew chapter 15 and verse 18 and 19. And the Bible says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So then the next question is, what exactly is a pure heart? 
Well, some people will tell you that a pure heart is a heart that never sins. This is there in your notes. But a lie is that in order to be what Jesus says, you have to never sin. Because the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 10, If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. If you ever meet a person who says, I don't sin, the Bible says that they're a liar. Everybody okay? Everybody sins. I sin. You sin. Elected officials sin. You're like, duh. Right? The Pope sins. Religious leaders sin. Everybody sins. Children sin. Adults sin. That's what we are. We are sinners. But another lie is that, okay, well, if, if, we, if we all sin, and outside of Jesus, if all of our hearts are corrupted and, and, and they're, they're cloudy, they're, they're not clear, they're not pure, then, then I guess I'm supposed to cleanse my own heart by doing good things. That's how I get a pure heart. I get the soap of morality. And I begin to moralize my life. I try to become a better person. Or for some people, they say, I'm going to try the reformation route to reform myself and look within and find the real me. Let me give you a verse in the Bible. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 9 says, Who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my own sin. It's like... Sometimes when we come to God's Word, and especially uh, if you've been out of church for a long time, or this is your first experience being around the things of God, you're like, man, I have guilt. I have guilt, and I know that I'm not okay with God, but what I've got to do, I've got to start cleaning up my life. Have you ever heard somebody say that before? I've got to start cleaning up my act. I've got to start changing. Well, that's true. We need to change, but if we don't realize that it's only Jesus who can change us, it's like if we brought a glass in here, and the inside of the glass is dirty, and the outside of the glass is dirty, and we just start going to town. I mean, just like Mr. Clean style, with the, with the, you know, the dishwashing detergent, and we're cleaning the outside of that dish, but not realizing it's the inside of the dish that needs cleaning most. And that's what religion will tell you, that you need to do things on the outside. Pop psychology will tell you you just need to start doing differently because you are what you do and so forth and so on. And the Bible tells us that it's only through the forgiving grace of Jesus Christ that we can be cleansed from the inside out. If you studied world religions at all, you'll know that there's a particular feast in Islam to where all of the participants put on white and they, they celebrate... Abraham and Isaac and Abraham's willingness to give up his son and they try to put on the white garments as some way to say that I'm trying to forgive myself or have God forgive myself forgive me of the things that I've done. You see there's nothing that we can do on the outside that will cleanse the inside. Amen church. There's nothing. It's only through Jesus. So the word clean here has to do with clean from adulterating material. James chapter 4 verse 8 gives us another picture of what this idea of a clean heart is. It's the idea of not being double-minded. The Bible says in James chapter 4 verse 8, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see, there's no way that we can have a pure heart if we're seeking ourselves or seeking something that's opposed to God and saying, God, I want you to clean me at the same time. 
And for some of you, uh, you remember last, uh, I guess it was a couple months ago in the summer, I had some friends come up from Germany, had some friends come in from out of town. And uh, what you didn't know is that a visitor, um, and he's just a small guy, came by the parsonage. Um, he's about yay tall, and, uh, and he's black and white, and if you mess with him, he will stink up the whole block. Yes, a skunk. So my friend Jeff, who's raised in the city his whole life, he went to take out the trash one of the nights, and, and he said, I saw a skunk down there. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. And he said, that actually, the skunk got into the, the garbage between last night and this morning, and the skunk actually had him cornered, which if you've seen Jeff, you know that would be an awesome, awesome thing to behold, Jeff getting cornered by a skunk. So he said, you've got a couple of live traps. And I said, yes, I do. He said, let's try to trap the skunk. So we Googled trapping skunks. And Google led us to go to Food Lion to buy a little can of sardines. Now, sardines are very effective at attracting skunks and capturing skunks. But I would just encourage you, if you live in the city, do a little bit further research on what to do with the skunk once you catch it. It's very important. So it wasn't, but maybe an hour after the sun went down and, and he, he, he kept going out there and looking, he's like, dude, I think we got a skunk. I was like, get out. He's like, no, I'm serious. Come on. And so we went out there and we look and there's this skunk and he's hanging out. We're like, dude, what do we do? And you looked up all the ways to dispose of it. And I mean, I'm not going to, because we, we have, we have every, I mean, on Sunday morning, you got to be careful, but some of the ways to dispose of it were not all that humane. But we thought, you know what, we've got to do something with it. And so I said, well, if we can just just take him out with one shot to the head with a pellet gun. Bad idea. Bad idea. I said, if we use a real gun, I'm here in city limits. I have law enforcement people in my church. And that will be really embarrassing for them to come and arrest their own pastor for discharging a firearm within city limits. So we tried to just, and I don't, I, I don't know if I should really share all this, but we tried to just take him out with the pellet gun. And he did not appreciate that one bit. And I kid you not. Chris is, this is a pastor who came to stay with me, another guy. We had a bunch of people there that weekend. And uh, his wife was, was in, in, in the parsonage, inside. And the second that we popped the skunk, she sent him a text message and says, the inside of the house smells like skunk. Because the intake for the air conditioning is down in the back of the house where the skunk was. And what I didn't realize is I had pulled my car up to shine the lights upon the skunk. And when your car doors are open and skunk says... I'm taking all of you with me. Y'all get the translation? All right? You know, keep the change, you filthy animal. And then uh, the, the car smelled like it. And the next morning, I was like, oh, no, I have to go pick up my friends from Germany. And they're, they, there's no rednecks in Germany. I mean, what do you do? You come like, we've been shooting skunks. Sorry about you. But we pulled up, and, and we picked him up at the airport. And I, I felt so bad. And, and he, my friend Toby brought his sweet wife, Lily, and they brought me John. Strawberry from Germany, just a great couple, love Jesus, they're involved in ministry there. I was like, I feel really embarrassed, because we drove with the windows down the whole way, brother, the whole way. And uh, and I said, I'm so sorry, but my, my car smells like a skunk. And their faces were like, you're a moron. In Jesus, we love you, but you're a moron. And then they're just so proper. And if you ever talk to, like, and this is a generalization, but they're very serious type of Germans. And he leans over and he says, I think it is funny that your car smells like a skunk. Thank you. Thank you. So for those of you that worked downtown a couple of months ago when people didn't know what that was, right here. Say, Jeff, why in the world would you take five minutes of your Sunday morning sermon to tell us about you capping a skunk with a pellet gun? Because it doesn't take something very big 
to pollute a large area. And when we come to God's Word, we can read verses like this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And we usually, we usually go down this road. Well, there's a lot of people out there, and I know they're very far from God. In fact, if you've got your Bibles, I, I put this in your outline. Galatians chapter 5 and verses 19 through 22 goes through some of the, the, the fruit or the evidences of the flesh. In other words, a life that has not been surrendered to Jesus Christ. And these evidences of an impure heart, we can think about these things and say, well, that applies to other people. But listen, the point that Jesus is making is that it doesn't take much to pollute the heart or to cloud the vision. Some of these pollutants would be in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Literally means fornication. Today we, we clean up the word and we say sexually active. Um, this is from God's word, not my opinion. Uh, if you're not married today and you're having sex or doing things that bring guilt, um, if, you're, if you're unmarried, that is called sin and God will hold you accountable. Okay? Shacking up with someone before you're married, not okay. Adultery, not okay. Fornication, it's a sin. And the Bible makes it very clear that no fornicator or adulterer will enter or inherit the kingdom of God. And notice Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. The, the words impurity or sensuality, literally in the Greek, this has to do with there is no more filter. It means a lack of restraint that goes beyond uh, the bounds of what is culturally even acceptable. It means, let, let me just put this in modern vernacular, it means uh, for those of us who have cable, turning on the Comedy Central channel and 90% of the time seeing what is on there, we appreciate that. We like that. We identify with that. We, we are not repulsed by that, but we say this is funny. Just to note, if a comic has to get into the gutter in order to be funny, the comic is not a good comic. It takes no intelligence, no creativity to be dirty. But what we can, what can happen to us, those of us who have even been saved, is we can gravitate towards those things to where the filter is off and it feeds our old self and it cuts down on our ability to be able to see God and to follow Him. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 19 and 20, the Bible says they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But in verse 20, that is not the way that you have learned Christ. Another verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 14 and 15. I would encourage you to note this. When I was a youth minister in South Carolina, we had this put on the back of our, Michael, on the back of our softball jerseys in Greek. And we had all the students memorize it because when people would see it, they're like, what does that mean? And they could quote it. Here's what it says. For the love of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. That one, Jesus, has died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all, here we go, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him for whose their sake died and was raised again. Amen, church? That we may live for Him with the audience of one and with the vision of one. And so we don't come to things like television and movies. And by the way, every single one of us is being targeted for pornography. You can't get away from it. If you're on Facebook, if you're on Twitter, if you just look up how to catch a skunk, 
you'll be targeted by pornography. If you have a school account, work email account, it's coming for you. It's not like back in the day when you had to talk to guys and like, you know, you got anything? And they would hand you a Playboy and a sack and you would put it in your backpack and take it home. It's weaponized, as Russell Moore said. So for those of us who love Jesus, it's not a legalistic thing, but it's saying, you know what, if Jesus died for me, and if He saved me, and if He's given me a point and a purpose to live, then by His grace, I want to keep away from that which clouds my vision. I want to have a pure vision, a pure heart by His grace. So there's sexual immorality of the body and the mind, firstly, that can pollute the heart. And secondly, worldviews and ideas opposed to God. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 20 says, idolatry and sorcery. Now, students, this is really interesting because the word sorcery in the New Testament is the Greek word pharmakia. And it has to do with two things, sorcery and witchcraft and drugs. You say, did they have drugs in the ancient world? They didn't have largely the same variety as we do, but I just want to make a statement about uh, legalization of pot. Y'all ready? You ever heard this on a Sunday morning? Regardless, if the state of Virginia ever legalizes marijuana, because often the Christian argument goes like this. Well, students, the reason why you shouldn't smoke weed, and it's not just students today, it's people who are adults as well. The reason why you shouldn't smoke weed is because it cuts down on your ability to progress in your job. Because nobody wants to hire a weed smoker. And not only that, as a Christian, you should obey the law. Well, what if people don't care anymore if you're a pot smoker or not? And what if the law says it's okay? Here's what we as Christians need to understand. Whether it's legal or not, Jesus Christ has saved you for something better than smoking pot for recreational use. Amen, church? And Jesus can set anybody free of anything. But something we need to understand is it's not we're trying to aim low. We're trying to aim for Jesus. Number three, internal and external hostility. Notice in Galatians 5, 20 and 21, these descriptors here. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and other things like these. Question. In your life, is there jealousy? Whenever someone succeeds, are you threatened by that? Is it the type of thing to say, well, they did good today, they did good this week, but I'm just going to wait for them to fall? You remember King Herod in the New Testament? King Herod was so threatened by Jesus' messiahship and his kingship that Herod declared that all these little babies had to die. In the Old Testament, we have King Saul, who was so threatened by David's success, he tried to murder David. Listen, if you've been saved by Jesus Christ, if you've been forgiven of all your sin and been made a new man, a new woman through Jesus, you don't have to be threatened by other people's intelligence or their money or their jobs or their families or their success. You are a son and a daughter of the Most High God and beyond that, not much else matters. Because everything flows from who we have been saved by and who He's created us to be. But culture wants to pollute our hearts and tell us you have to fight for your own. You have to know, no, no. You can never turn the other cheek because no one's going to have your back. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Because when Jesus was on the cross, not only did He have our back, He took everything, all of our sin, on His you think about this, this culture that says, I want to find a, a husband and a wife or a church or a job that will serve me. I want to be served. We see Jesus didn't come 
to be served. What, what did he came to do? What did he come to do, church? He, he came, he came to, to serve. And if we're not careful, our vision of why God has put us here, our vision of who God is can, be some, can become so clouded by selfishness, saying, I want people to notice me. I want people to appreciate me. Now, should we love and appreciate one another? Absolutely. But if we're looking for life, if we're looking for a church, looking within our family to always be appreciated perfectly, you're going to be an absolutely miserable person. Have you ever been around a person and they're always disappointed with what somebody else has done? Right. Everybody else should have measured up to what they think. And that person has no joy at all. No peace at all. They sit there with crossed arms and a scowling face. And they've always got something negative to say. Well, guess what? If we've been saved by Jesus, He has cleansed our hearts so we realize it doesn't have to be a competition between us and another person. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. For some people today, it's this. You say, Jeff, I want to have a pure heart before God, but here's my issue. I just can't seem to get along with the people in my life. Do we realize that what we have to have to get along with other people, to have peace with other people, is peace with God? It's impossible to have peace with a family member, with a co-worker, with someone that you know if you don't have peace with God. But when you have peace with God through Jesus, it bleeds over into everything else. See, now Jeff, you mentioned a few minutes ago about once we come to that, that, that idea of the pure in heart shall see God, you said that we usually make excuses because we compare ourselves to other people. That happens all the time, doesn't it? Well, you see, Jeff, all those things that you read off, like I'm, I'm not involved in those things you see, I'm, I'm better than that person. I, I don't do those things. Here's how, and I don't think many people have understood how logically absurd that statement is. And, and let me explain it here. When we say, I'm good because I'm not like them, well then what happens when they're trying to justify themselves? They look at the next person down the line, and they look at the next person down the line, well, at least I don't commit crimes. At least I'm not in jail. You go talk to some of the people in jail, at least I'm not a murderer. Go talk to a murderer. At least I'm not a child molester. I mean, down the line to where the final standard is, the most depraved person on earth. We all tracking with that? It makes no sense at all to say I'm okay with God because I'm not like those people because it's the wrong standard. Because Jesus says you must be pure in heart. Pure in heart. You see, Jeff, I'm here this morning and I feel like Somebody has taken a tattoo gun and tattooed guilt deep within my soul. I feel that it cannot be revoked. It cannot be removed. Let me give you a verse from God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. And it goes through this whole list of people that were far from God. And it says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. I don't care if you are a prostitute here this morning. I don't care if you have run out on your family. If you get saved today, Jesus Christ will wash away every sin you have ever committed to His glory. Amen, church? And what you see, if it's a real church, if it's not just a show, if it's not just a collection of people trying to show off, or to say, I'm going to go to church so I can get better business deals, but it is a collection of various people who are all broken by sin, who have been cleansed by Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 
He came into the world and Jesus was pure. You see, some of us, we say, Jeff, I need so bad the help to be able to stop these things. How do I get a pure heart? It's in your notes. The answer is very simple. Give your heart to God. Give your life to God and let, not, not just part of it, give Him yourself and let Him clean it up. Let Him clean you. Let Him take over your life. Let Him wash you with His blood and forgive you with His grace. And through that you submit to Him. You say, I can't cleanse myself. I can't get better. I need you, Jesus. And you become transformed. You see, Jeff, what is the benefit of having a pure heart? Well, you get to see God. It may not be a physical thing right now, but one day when you get to heaven, you'll be able to see Him. When you open His Word, you'll be able to see Him. You'll be able to see Him in His providence and His sovereignty. Like Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Most people who come in here is not like, this is the biggest mega church I've ever been in, ever. God has worked among us, yes. But we don't have millions of dollars in the bank, but just what we shared at the beginning of this message, how God provided You see Him in those details. The devil's not in the details. God's in the big print and the small print. So we can trust Him with our lives. The Apostle Paul, in his writings, he he speaks about seeing through a glass darkly. You know, and think about these sunglasses again. And When you try to look through, it's so cloudy. And sometimes we, we come to these texts and we say, Jeff, it seems like... It seems like these things keep getting in in the way of me seeing God and following after Him. What do I do? We have to understand that purity is not something that we achieve. Purity is a gift from God. If you come away from this message this morning saying, I've got to do better, I've got to do more, I've not communicated effectively. Because what Jesus is saying is to be pure in heart, is to see God. And that purity of heart comes from God because only God is pure. If I've got oil and dirt, gas all over me, and I start trying to clean myself, I'm going to smell like it. I'm not going to be able to clean myself. I need someone else, another agent to come in and do that for me. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 says, Holiness which out with which no one will see the Lord. It's where God comes in and He changes your moral motivator. For those of you guys, you have things that you're not ashamed of, that you're ashamed of in the past. He changes your moral motivation to where you love Jesus and overall for your family and for those you know you want to point people to Jesus. No matter how long you live, no matter what you do. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's a gift that God can give today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. This is our time of commitment. And there may be some here today that say, Jeff, it seems like every time I have some type of a moral transformation in my life, just the fact that I'm here is evidence of me saying I need to turn over a new leaf. But it seems like it never sticks. What you need today is for Jesus, for Jesus to take over your life. In this moment right now, why don't you just give your life to Christ? You admit that you're a sinner. Admit. This is so hard to do for for those of us who are Americans. Admit that we can't change ourselves. Ask Jesus to take over.